beautiful day out today, isn't it? Finally, not quite so hot and sunshine and just promises to be a beautiful day. So let's get started. My name is Kevin Barnhill. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, I attend here at Country Bible. We have uh, my wife, Amy, and I have attended here almost 15 years now. Uh, we have three boys. Uh, none of them are home. Yes! <laughs> so, um, as I say, empty nest is best. For those of you that uh, uh, aren't there yet, I'm sorry. You've got something to look forward to. But uh, it really is a lot of fun just having the two of us. And uh, so, But uh, Andrew asked me uh, if I would speak today and uh, kind of gave me my choice. He said there were uh, going to be several guest speakers during this ser- sermon series on the, on the Beatitudes. And I asked him, well, who else is speaking? And he said, well, you and a couple other folks that we've seen. He said, and Amy, your wife Amy is going to speak. I said, okay, I have to go before her. If for no other reason, then you guys are in for a great treat next week because she's way better at this than I am, and so I didn't want to follow her. So I said, I go first. So that's that's why you have me today is because I'm a coward. Uh, So um, we've been working through these Beatitudes uh, over the last few weeks, and it's uh, the Beatitudes, we say there's nine. If you read the scripture, there's really eight plus one inferred. So that's where we get the nine. So it's an eight plus one. And, and, and what these beatitudes are is they are attitudes which lead to a change in our actions. And over time, these actions become attributes that we as Christians are identified by. That statement, that overall statement, has been the overall aim of the series, is that we would, we would uh, take these attitudes that would bring about a change in heart and action, and that through that, through those actions and habits, we would develop these attributes that identify us as Christians. It's a Christ-likeness that the Beatitudes are, are working toward. They, uh, uh, it's not a path for... Uh, uh, to, to be a Christian, it's a path for Christian growth. It's the, the, the idea that Jesus is talking here is how to be a representative of Christ, more Christ-like. And so that's what these attitudes and actions are supposed to bring about in these attributes. We've looked at five attributes so far. And what I love about the Beatitudes, about these attributes, is they build one on another. It's not like you can just skip the first three and jump right in. You have to start with the progression that Christ was teaching. And so the first one uh, that we talked about was poor in spirit. And that poor in spirit is to recognize our own sinfulness, our own poverty, uh, our our spiritual poverty, so to speak, that that can only... uh, that we recognize that. And then the second one is that we mourn that. You know, we're told that blessed are those that mourn, that they'll be comforted. Well, what happens is we recognize that spiritual poverty and it should bring about a mourning that makes us realize our need for Christ and, and that we only find that satisfaction. And then, and then by mourning that, we recognize our position before a holy God and we become humble and more meek one of, my, uh, one of the quotes that C.S. Lewis is famous for is about true humility. And he says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So I'm going to say that again. True humility is not thinking 
less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Putting others before us. And that is the humility that when we recognize our sinfulness, we realize that we're all on the same level. That one is not better than the other. That we all are sinful and that we need the Savior. That, we're, that nobody, nobody is righteous, not one. That uh, everything we do doesn't bring us better than our, than our, than our, fellow, than our fellow human, than, our, than, our, than, our, than others that are just like us. So that brings about that true humility. And once we recognize our sinfulness, that we're mourning our sinfulness, we see the humility and that we all need the grace of God, we start to hunger and thirst for that righteousness, for that right relationship with Christ. And through that, right, through that hunger and thirst for the right relationship, we come to the last one that we've studied so far, and that's mercy. And Steve brought a great message last week, and one of the lines that he used that stuck with me here through this week is that mercy is messy. And that it's only through recognizing our, our need and the mercy that we received from Jesus personally at the foot of the cross that we can extend that same mercy to others and develop that attribute and that Christ-likeness of merciful to, to, to other people. So these Beatitudes, they build one on the other and that, and that only through Christ and that hunger and thirst for right relationship that we can show mercy to others and then we meet Jesus. So before we get started, I do want to open with prayer. After, after that little review there, let's, let's, uh, let's have a quick word of prayer as we dig into today's passage. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. And we thank you, God, for, um, for uh, coming together as, as your church and your body. I pray, Lord, that the words I speak would not be mine but yours. That, God, that, uh, that somebody here would hear the words that you need them to hear. And that you would just uh, bless our time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Uh, as we open our Bibles, I want to, I want to remind you that we, uh, we want everyone to have a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible today, raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. This is, this is yours to keep. Uh, we want you to take it home. We want you to scribble in it, write in it, make it yours, personalize it, put your name in it, and, and spend time in the Word. One of the goals that we have here at Country Bible is that we could put the Word of God in, in everyone's hands and that they could use that Word to change lives. So um, as we have our Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to our scriptures and that's Matthew four twenty-three, And we're going to read all the way through 512. Um, so the, the context here is Jesus is, uh, is starting to teach. So if we'll start in 423, it's Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. And people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. 
God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when, you mo- when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Today I want to focus on verse 8 out of the, chapter 5. And that is, blessed are those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Little context, Jesus had been teaching his disciples, wandering around the countryside, and his fame had started to grow. So he had come to the mountain, and as was typical in that day, as was typical in that day, uh, the rabbi or teacher would sit, and his disciples would gather at his feet. Now he had gone to a mountainside that had created a natural amphitheater, and so the crowds had gathered around him. So in this personal teaching time that Jesus was taking to to develop his disciples, at the same time he was speaking to the crowd. And it was a very eclectic crowd. There were there would have been Greeks and Gentiles, people, you know, basically non-believers. There would have been those who were there just because of the miracles that he was doing across the countryside. It says, you know, the scripture says that they started bringing him the sick and the, and the ill and the epileptic and the demon-possessed. So there were people that were following him for, for those reasons. And then also there would have been the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees are, uh, were... Uh, are religious leaders of the time for the Jewish community. They, had, they set the tone and the rules. Now, the Pharisees would have been following not because they were so interested in what Jesus was teaching, but more about that he was upsetting their apple cart. Uh, they had made a, uh, a, a set of rules, a set of rules to live by uh, that had, had put God out of reach. They had, uh, they had started to build uh, the, this, this works-based lifestyle that they wanted everybody to adopt, and they had set themselves above their fellows. Um, and so when Jesus started talking about especially this pure heart and seeing God, it would have, it would have really caught their ears. Because the, the, the purity... Uh, that Jesus is talking about was not a new concept, right? Purity goes all the way back to Exodus. Uh, This thought process of purity before God goes all the way back to Exodus where Moses had first told the children of Israel to, uh, to consecrate themselves and wash or purify their garments uh, because you're going to meet God. This was when God was going to, uh, 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 they were in the wilderness and he's basically telling them, you're going to go before God so you need to be clean. You need to purify yourself. So as a result of this and the Ten Commandments and the Levitical law, the Pharisees had come up with 613 different laws dealing with how to live a pure life pleasing to God. There were 
do nots and do's in this group of laws. And, the, and these were not optional. 613 not optional rules. And they had, through this system, there were so many rules that the normal person had no hope of keeping them all. And so the religious leaders had made pleasing God unattainable. So for Jesus to make a statement about a pure heart and seeing God was quite a statement. It was huge. It was, it was because they were so concerned with the purity of the life. And Jesus said, no, just, just this little part, just your heart, a pure heart, and you'll see God. And so it really was quite a statement. The Pharisees have, had forgotten, through their rules and laws, they had forgotten that it's the heart that purifies the life and not the life that cleans the heart. They were so concerned with the purity on the outside. And Jesus reminds them of this in Matthew 23 where he, where he calls them out. Calls them hypocrites and brood of vipers and blind Pharisees. That they're so concerned with washing the outside of the cup and the dish that they neglect the inside. And that the inside is still dirty. But it's after you clean the inside of the cup that the outside becomes clean what Jesus was reminding them of was this, was this, was this heart question it's clean the heart and then that reflects to the outside and he says this uh, in Matthew and Luke both where he says out of our heart out of the overflow of our heart is where our mouth speaks and he says that, the, that, that it's our heart situation is what he's most concerned with. God is concerned with our hearts, most of all. Now, the word used here for heart is not um, the organ in your chest. It's actually a very difficult word to, 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 to translate. Uh, the literal translation is uh, guts or viscera. Uh, it's that inner self, the, the hidden part. Uh, sometimes it's translated as liver, sometimes intestine. But the word heart that's used here is really talking about that secret self that nobody else sees. But God sees. In First Samuel, uh, in talking about King Saul, uh, who had been chosen, uh, the children of Israel had chosen as their king because he was a handsome man and, and ruddy and a head taller than everyone else. But God said, he will be the king of Israel. He, you will get what you want, people. But I have already rejected him because man looks at the outside. But I, the Lord, look at the heart. And, Saul, and Saul's heart wasn't right. That's what God is most concerned with is this heart of ours. It's our secret self. We can only fake that outside change for so long. As Jesus has reminded us that in, 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 in Jeremiah it says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But the Lord searches all hearts and examines the secret motive. It's that secrecy, it's that deep place within us that God is most concerned about because that is who we are. God is most concerned with who we are. 
not necessarily our public persona, not what we show our, our fellow uh, men and women on the outside, not, uh, not how we look at church, not how we dress, but it's that, it's that inner self, that secret of who you are when, when it's quiet. In that depths of, of your mind, body, and soul. This heart that God is concerned with is the total person, not just the outside. So where does the changed heart come from? How do, how, do we, how do we fix this if the heart is so desperately wicked, but yet we're told that a pure heart is blessed? Where does, the, where does this pure heart come from? Where does this change come from? And the, the secret is the Sunday school answer. You know, in Sunday school, when the teacher asks a question, you can usually uh, raise your hand with either God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and you're, you're, you're in, right? That's one of those is the right answer. But in this situation, it's, it is the Sunday school answer. The changed heart comes only from God. And he tells us about this all the way back to uh, uh, Ezekiel, where he, says, where he says that I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And he will take out our stony, stubborn heart and give us a soft heart. A heart that seeks after him. You know, um, we look at David. A man uh, identified as a man after God's own heart. Here was a man that God loved. But yet David recognized the position of his heart. David had, uh, uh, as king, he had everything. And yet he saw Bathsheba. And, uh, and he lusted after Bathsheba. And then after adulterous relationship when she became pregnant, in order to hide his sin, he had her husband murdered. And then here comes our friend, the prophet Nathan. And it's Psalm 51 is a reaction of David to Nathan calling out his sin. Nathan came to David and told a story. And he said... David, what would you think about the man who has everything, who has all the cattle, all the sheep, all the goats, all the land, yet when a friend comes to visit, looks over the fence to his neighbor who only has one lamb, yet you take that lamb, somebody took that lamb and slaughtered it and prepared the meal for his friend. And David was just appalled that somebody would do that. Why, he had everything. Why would he go to his neighbor? And David's response was, that man is worthy of death. Nathan looks at David and says, you are that man. Boy, friends that speak truth in our life are sometimes good friends and sometimes better friends, but we may not always like them. But Nathan had spoken truth into David's life and said, you are that man. So David, in response, wrote Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God. David recognized his sinfulness. He saw the poverty that he had, spiritual poverty. And he fell before God and begged for mercy. That is the promise of the renewed heart if we seek after God. Only through God do we get the renewed heart that becomes pure that we, if we seek after God. So what is it about the pure heart? Right? We get a new heart, but what is a pure heart? The word pure here is the Greek word katharos. And from that, that's the root that we get our, our, uh, our word catharsis or cathartic 
And that word means cleansing, right? We have a uh, cathartic emotions or we have this um, uh, emotional output that's cathartic. It cleanses us, it empties us, it cleans us. And, and that's, that's the pure here. There's two pictures using that word that, that Jesus is creating here. The first is a cleansing. It is, it is, a, uh, it is a cleaning of the contaminants in a life. And the, the best word picture you have here is of, a, is of a goldsmith. A goldsmith who's working his ore. And he melts this ore down to the boiling point. Right? And it's melted down and it's boiling. And as that boil rolls, it brings all the contaminants to the surface. The dross. And the, and the goldsmith, the craftsman, will, will skim. And he keeps cooking and keeps skimming and he keeps cooking and keeps skimming, keeps cooking and keeps skimming. And, it, and all these contaminants continue to flow to the surface until it becomes pure gold. And we're told, or, or the, the history tells us, that the way the craftsman knew when he was done, when the gold was pure, was when he could see the reflection of his face on the surface. How like God in our lives. We go through the trials of living. I mean, forget about the big trials, just the trials of living, of day-to-day life. And we're, we're cleansed by the fire. We're, we're, God is constantly rolling our life over and cooking us down until, until we get that purity of heart and that, and that one ingredient. And, and he knows, right, we know this purity of heart when we reflect him to the people around us. That's the pure heart, the heart that reflects God to those around us. Um, contaminants are what dull that reflection. When my, uh, uh, when my boys all reached uh, teen years, they got to go on a trip with dad, whether they really wanted to or not, we went on a trip. And uh, it was uh, on that trip we used, uh, I used a material called Passport to Purity. If, you're, uh, if you are having teenagers, want teenagers, have a thought about teenagers, going to spend time with teenagers, I suggest that material. It's good material. Um, and it's focused, of course, on dating and relationships with, with since I have boys, girls, and, and how to deal with that through, your, through their teen years. And so that was the main focus of the material. But there's been a few lessons that I taught them that, that have stuck with me through the years on life in general. And one of my favorite lessons out of, out of Passport to Purity is you take two pieces of paper and you put Elmer's glue on them, just, just white glue. And if you stick them together and then pull them apart quickly, you get a mess, right? There's not a lot else that goes on, but you get a mess, right? It's not real pretty and it's kind of messy. But if you, if you, if you take them and you stick them together for just a few minutes, five minutes, less than five minutes, and you try to pull them apart, they will come apart but not without damaging the paper. And how much is it like that in our lives where we bump up against contaminants in our life and we don't separate ourselves quickly? And what we do is we end up sticking for whatever reason, sometimes just because we like it. Let's not kid ourselves. But we end up sticking. And when we finally pull apart, we end up leaving scars on ourselves and those around us because we didn't remove the contaminants of our lives. 
my niece, um, I'm kind of embarrassed, my niece, not, I'm not embarrassed of my niece, don't say that wrong, but my niece is like the Facebook queen. She, she is all over Facebook all the time. And typically she's always uh, posting these uh, life sayings. Whether it be about or whether it be about relationships or positive reinforcement, I don't know. Just all these, it's it's one motivational poster after another. You know the kind where it's hanging in the dentist's office and it's got all the guys rolling together or whatever. It's just all these sayings, and I typically just kind of glance and scroll, glance and scroll, glance and scroll. I'm embarrassed to say, a few weeks ago as I was glancing and scrolling. Um, she actually put up a gem. It was awesome, and it fit what I'm talking about today so so well that I that I kind of made it one of my main themes in that in that uh, uh, purity is more than what we avoid, but also who we pursue. Purity is more than what we avoid, but also who we pursue. Too often, like the paper sticking together and the contaminants in our lives, when we think about purity, we only think about taking things out of our lives. It's, it's, it's subtraction. And we try to reach growth through taking things out of our lives. It's, a, 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 it's referred to as addition through subtraction. And, and math doesn't work that way. Right? Math just doesn't work that way. But if we, if we turn that around and not focus purity on everything that we take away from our lives, but on the positive of who or what we pursue as being the definition of purity, then you start to multiply. And that's what I like here because that's the second thought that Jesus is putting here. It's where is our focus? The thought of the purity here that Jesus is talking about in that pure heart is, is, the question is where is our focus? The thought is a single-mindedness, a laser-like view where we're focused solely on the things of God. Where everything we see, we view through that prism, that filter of does this fit into the things of God. And that, if that's what we focus on, pretty soon those contaminants kind of start to go by the wayside on their own. We don't have to work so hard on the negative when we're working hard and putting energy toward the positive. That focus, that focus is what keeps us on task, on track. And it doesn't take a lot to distract us from that focus. Um, When I was younger, much, much, much younger, I was was, uh, living in Arizona uh, in my first few years of university. And uh, 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 I was BA at that time. That's uh, before Amy. And so I would spend, I would spend a lot of time in the desert uh, by myself. Probably not the brightest thing to do, but, you know, when you're, when you're 19 and 20 and 21, you're, you're bulletproof. So I would go in the desert a lot by myself looking for something. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home, but I had rejected uh, that at that time in my life. And so I was looking for something, anything. So what I would do is I would uh, take my backpack and whatever I could carry, my compass, my handy-dandy compass, and uh, my USGS map, my United States Geological Survey map. And then I would go out in the desert for several days just on my own. 
One of my first trips, I got so hopelessly lost because I had lost my focus. My focus being is that when you use a compass, north is not north. There's true north, which is how your map is laid out, grid lines, true north, and then there's magnetic north, and they are not the same. Now, it doesn't make a difference if you calculate and allow for that when you first start your trip. It's an angle, right? You're always a little bit off of true north. But as you move along your path, it separates more and more and more. And so by losing my focus and not allowing for that calculation, I was miles away from where I should have been. I was in areas that they really don't want you to be. And... um, Boy, you meet some really different people when you get out in that area of the desert. (laughs) People, uh, yeah, there's people out there, and they are odd, and they're they're not who you want to be with. Uh, But because I had lost my focus, I ended up hopelessly lost. This This is how we are. We need that focus. We need that singular mindset on the things of God. And that's the pure heart that Jesus is talking about here. Of course, when we talk about purity, the first thing that comes to our mind is all the things we need to take away, usually sexual purity or, or uh, uh, television or uh, uh, all these things of the world that we want to eliminate from our lives. But I tell you that what Jesus was really talking about here was, of course. But what he was really talking about here is is the blessings that you get from a pure heart of seeing God comes from that singular focus on the things of God. Where you are so focused that, that that pure is not really what others see but that secret place in your heart that you are solely focused on the things of God and you will see God the thing the 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 promise here of seeing God is not just a promise for the future it's not a promise for the only for the eternal it's a promise for the here and now that if we are solely focused on the things of God and we have that pure linear that focus on the things of God we will see God in every situation Whether it be in a broken relationship, we'll see that as an opportunity for reconciliation and forgiveness. Sickness we'll see as an opportunity for healing, both physical and spiritual. In our daily struggles and even in our successes, we can give glory to God if we're singularly focused on the things of God. We will see God in everything. A pure heart with an eternal focus becomes stronger Because the byproduct of an eternal focus is a pure heart. It's a circular. We see God when we have a pure heart. And for God, and the more we see God, the easier it is to focus on the purity of our heart. Me personally, I have the attention span of a gnat. I I have it so bad that it really takes a lot of energy for me to focus on the task at hand. Uh, I, I have a tendency to, boy, I'm just, I, I, I'm all over the board and, and I have uh, more energy than one guy should. Uh, and, and so 
and so uh, poor Amy, she calls it the shotgun versus the rifle, and typically I'm the guy that's all over the place. Uh, and, and so, but it's that singularly of focus, it's the energy that we put in that brings about real accomplishment in the purity of our heart. So our question is, is your heart, is our, is our heart and mind singularly focused on the things of God so that we see him in every situation? What distracts us? What distracts us? We are easily distracted. All people seem to be easily distracted. Oftentimes, the things that are not of God are easier. It's easier to focus on things other than singularly focused on, on Jesus. Me personally, I had to. Uh, I talked about Facebook a minute ago, but I had to take Facebook off my phone because it had become such a distraction, uh, such a time waster. Uh, when I could have been doing things more constructive and putting my energy elsewhere, I would be uh, on Facebook seeing who commented on what and criticizing grammar and uh, spelling. Uh, so uh, you know, it just it just become it had become such a distraction that I would be trying to have my quiet time or I'd be sitting with Amy and, and uh, the first thing I'm doing is reaching for my phone just to see what the latest status update is from somebody. Uh, so I took it off my phone. It's liberating. It really is. Uh, it's surprising. Technology is a wonderful thing. But sometimes, uh, especially with social media, it becomes such a distraction. A huge distraction and time waster. The big so what? I'm going to, well, okay, good thing I'm done, right? <clears throat> I don't need those anymore. The big so what? So as we close today, I want to come back to what my niece posted. Purity is more than what we avoid, but also who we pursue. Our big so what and our question is, where are we putting our energy and what are we pursuing? What and who are we pursuing? What do we need to avoid? And avoidance is fine. But it's that positive of multiplication. It's the positive of what are you pursuing that takes your focus away from the things of God and from pursuing God. Is it a big bank account, personal success, pleasure at the expense of others? It's what we put our energy in and who we pursue. You know, when I think of uh, who we pursue, God pursues us. He loves us. And He has a pure pursuit of us. So focused is He on His love for us that He died for us. That he gave his life on the cross because he loves us and he wants us so desperately. Do we return the favor? Do we want God and the things of God so desperately that that's where we put our focus? What would we be like as a church? How would we impact our community, our county, Blair, each other, if we had God as our foremost focus in everything we do? easier said than done so think about that think about the pursuit and the call that God has placed on each of us and his love for us and how if we 
want to see God, it comes because we pursue, because we're looking for God every day. That's the pure heart that Jesus is talking about. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for the pursuit of us, for that model and example you give of just a pure, your heart so pure in a love pursuit of us. God, I just pray that we would each start putting our energy in that pure heart as a sole focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen.